0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, December 20th. Utah ranks near the bottom for school nurse to student ratios. Until a few years ago, Grand County School District had no full-time school nurse. Justin Higginbottom speaks with the only nurse in the district about her work and why it's important.
1: When, when I finally got this office, I was just like, hallelujah, I have an <laughs> office with a
0: door it's...
2: Mary Frothingham first started working in Moab in 97. She ran rivers, waited tables, and worked for the park service. In 2005, she took a job with the school district to help with tobacco prevention. And it was at this gig that something sparked for her.
1: Kind of some of my interest in nursing was sparked back then in working with some of the low-income, high-risk kids, recognizing a lot of the unmet health needs and young people in our community.
2: Frothingham went to nursing school, and when the district's first school nurse position opened in 2019, she jumped at the opportunity.
1: I grew up in a place where every school had a school nurse, and that was just sort of the norm.
2: Utah ranks near the bottom for school nurse to student ratios. The latest data is from 2019, where the Utah Department of Health reported nearly 4,000 students to every nurse. The federal recommendation is one nurse for every 750 students.
1: But as far as having a healthcare professional in the schools, that was not part of the culture in this community. And I recognized then what an impact a nurse could make for supporting health and wellness in schools and the community.
2: Grand County has around 1,500 students, but Frothingham says our communities should aim for more than the federal recommendation.
1: But really, when determining what the ratio of school nurses should be, looking at your community's uh, social determinants of health should play into your ratios. What we know about our community is we do have a lot of negative social determinants of health, high rates of poverty, homelessness, food insecurity, high rates of uninsured kids. I mean, the list goes on and on. Based on those, We would probably want a better school nurse-to-student ratio than 1-to-750. Really, the ideal would be to have one school nurse per school.
2: A bill in 2019 provided millions in funding for school nurses and counselors. But the focus was more on mental health, also important. Every campus now in the county has a therapist. Frothingham says one huge impact the district has seen since adding her position is in vision care. Grand County Schools have partnered with the Moab Free Health Clinic and the nonprofit Hope Alliance to get over 70 kids free vision services.
1: I'm constantly identifying more kids that need services, or just as an example, a, a student I screened yesterday, and when I looked him up in the records, noticed that he had a couple of siblings, and I looked in their records, and two of those siblings I had screened two years ago with lost or broken classes. And when I called the parent, you know, those kids still hadn't been seen. So I got three kids plus the parent into the clinic to get vision services. I had no idea.
2: It's low hanging fruit like eye care where even one nurse can make a difference.
1: I mean, that's obviously like just a basic, basic thing kids need to learn. If they can't see, they can't learn. And it's so, it's such a simple thing to treat relatively inexpensively and it can make a big difference in, in their ability to learn. And when you think about disadvantaged kids, it's all those, all those little things over time when they're not addressed, they compound.
2: Moab, like other rural areas, is seeing a nursing shortage caused in part by housing costs. Hospitals are having a hard time finding skilled healthcare workers to move to the area. So Frothingham doesn't guess she'll have a new colleague soon. Justin Higginbottom for KZ Immune News.
0: In 2020, archaeologists found a monument at a Utah internment camp that imprisoned Japanese Americans. The prisoners there built it for a man killed by a guard. But earlier this year, the Topaz Museum removed it with a forklift before informing the former prisoners and their descendants. The Japanese-American community was crushed. Some were angry. But now they're trying to find a path forward. KUER's Sonia Hudson reports from the former Topaz internment camp near Delta.
3: Topaz is now an empty, dry desert landscape. There are just the foundations of buildings left. But 80 years ago, it housed 12 of Nancy Ukai's relatives and a 63-year-old man named James Wakasa.
4: We're retracing the route that James Wakasa took um, after dinner on Sunday night, April 11th, 1943, and he was walking his dog. It was nearing sunset
3: when a guard shot him in the chest a few feet from the fence. The soldier was later acquitted in military court. Stories flew around the camp that he was deaf and maybe couldn't hear the guard's warnings, but some accounts suggest he wasn't.
4: The image of him as this old deaf man who was a bachelor and a chef, but he had a full life. He traveled a lot. In his barrack, they found Mexican pesos. He lived in New York. I think a lot of that humanity was lost in the retelling of the story.
3: A group of prisoners built a monument out of a large stone in honor of Wakasa. Camp officials ordered them to destroy it, but in an act of defiance, they buried it where Wakasa had died. Ukai is also a researcher and a writer. Last year, she found a map in the National Archives that showed where he was shot and wrote an article about it. Two archaeologists saw the story. They came to the desert and found the top of it sticking out of the ground.
4: It was like, oh my gosh, this message from the past, which represents civil rights, defiance, resistance, felt incredible. And also that they were trying to remember a friend and then that History was literally buried for 78 years.
3: After Ukai and eight other former prisoners and descendants walked to the spot where Wakasa was killed, they held a ceremony for him. Most of the group had traveled from the San Francisco Bay Area to be here, the same route their parents and grandparents took when they were forced from their homes. On this December morning, they stood in a semicircle next to the camp's barbed wire fence, wrapped tightly in coats to stay warm in the crisp desert air. A Japanese-American musician played, and a Buddhist minister burned incense while giving a blessing. During Wakasa's 1943 funeral, the prisoners didn't have fresh flowers, so they used paper ones. The group at this ceremony placed fresh flowers and paper flowers next to a cross on the fence. Kiyoshi Ina, who was born in the camp, read a letter from the group.
4: Dear Mr. Wakasa, These flowers are for you. We thank you for a life well lived. We grieve your death.
3: They weren't just grieving Wakasa and the pain their relatives endured. They were also grieving what happened to the monument this July, about two weeks after the archaeologists published a paper online about discovering it. The Topaz Museum used a forklift to remove the stone from the ground. Masako Takahashi was born at the Topaz Concentration Camp. She says she told the museum board president she'd be happy to fund an archaeological excavation and an accompanying ceremony.
1: One or two business days later, she wrote me back saying, Oh, uh, we had it dug up this morning, and I felt like it
3: was a slap in the face. It felt like a combination of grief and rage. Takahashi says part of that was knowing that the monument could have been damaged by the way it was removed.
1: It could have writing or carving on the front of it. And there could have been gifts or tokens left at the burial site, flowers, incense. We don't know because we will never know maybe.
3: Jane Beckwith is the president of the Topaz Museum Board. She says it was important to remove the stone quickly because its location had been published online.
4: When it was revealed, it made us really panic. Vandalism out here is pretty common. And we felt like if that happened, that would be really a tragedy.
3: But she acknowledges the way they removed it wasn't right.
4: We've apologized that we moved it too swiftly. If people wanted to see it removed, we should have given them that opportunity.
3: Now, the two parties are trying to move forward. Part of that is an evaluation of the stone and its original location by National Park Service archeologists. The team will compile a report for the descendants and the museum, which they can use to make a decision about what to do with the monument. There's still a lot of healing to be done, but Nancy Ukai, who first found the map that led to the monument's discovery, says this day brings them closer.
4: Healing means learning the truth about the land here, the artifact, the archaeology and meeting people and working together to learn that is a form of healing. Ukai
3: says this was the first step in consecrating a sacred place, and that too is a way to heal. Sonia Hudson, KUER News.
0: This story comes from our partners at KUER, and that's the KZMU News for Monday, December 20th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.